This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. go with another podcast rob and summer is here so things slowing down a little bit but you still gotta gas up your car especially if you're gonna drive around for a summer vacation this year we know gas prices have been high come down a little bit lately right but the government's still going ahead with their gas price public inquiry and you got an interesting story on that this week yeah it's interesting you know we're waiting for this uh inquiry that is supposed to tell us Basically, why gas prices are hitting you so hard at the pump. What's going on there? Are you getting gouged by these gas companies? Is there price fixing? Is there some, you know, unknown factor that is causing uh, prices to go way up? It wasn't that long ago. It was just a, a month or two ago. We were seeing gas prices at uh, north of a buck seventy a liter in parts of Vancouver. Down to what now? About a buck fifty or something. Yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. depending still on. still high. Yeah, it is. And the question is, why is it high? So there's this commission, uh, the BC Utilities Commission, doing a review that the government has ordered into these gas prices. And I found it interesting. Uh, I just wandered on to the old website, and I started reading the submissions from the gas companies this week. And it's fascinating because um, many of them, I'd say the, the big players, so we're talking about groups like um, Husky Energy or Suncor or Shell. So between them, these are the people that operate the Husky gas stations, some Esso brand stations, Petro Canada, the Shell stations. Um, they told the BC Utilities Commission, "Oh, oh, you'd like to you'd like to know a little bit of information about our profit margins and how we set the price of gas? Allow me to invite you to pound sand on this particular." <laughs> they they basically yeah. said, "We're not giving you our profit margin, so you know, bug off." And uh, I thought it was kind of interesting because I'm not sure what this does to the the inquiry. Does this make it harder for this commission to figure out if there is price gouging or or whatever is going on? Or is it the kind of thing that no one really expected these gas companies to, to cough up without threat of some sort of legal action? Do we expect them to come forward and say, here's how much we make on every liter of gas? And they're arguing that this is competitive information that they're – they can't release it. It's very sensitive and confidential. I'm not sure about that. 7-Eleven Canada, which operates yeah. gas stations, they did release this information. They gave it confidentially to the Utilities Commission. They said, in the interests of the administration of justice, we're going to give this to you. We think you should know it. Uh, just don't share it publicly. And one other gas company, Super uh, Save Gas, which is a smaller BC retailer, they also provided it confidentially. So now that's really interesting stuff. So 7-Eleven runs 124 gas stations. I'm reading in your in your story, so I know it must be totally accurate. It's, yeah. And Super Save Gas has got 40 gas stations. There's 164 gas stations. These other who have coughed up these uh, some of this data. These other ones who don't want to play along and want to keep their profit numbers secret have got a combined 500 gas stations. So a l- large majority of the, of the gas stations in the province don't want to reveal their profit margins to this commission of inquiry. And I guess um, I, I, a number of things spring to mind. I guess one is, can you blame them in a way? I mean, it is like they're arguing this is sensitive commercial information. And I, I suppose it is, yep. isn't it? I mean, like, you know, if your profit margin, why would you want to reveal that to your competitors or to anybody else? Unless you say like you're compelled to. So I guess I don't, you can understand on the one hand why they would not want to disclose, but then it raises suspicions as well. Like, well, why don't you want to reveal it? If if the Commission of Inquiries is promising to keep it secret, why not disclose it? Is it because it would reveal price gouging? 
if you're all making massive windfall profits? Yeah. Is that why you don't want to release it? So, I mean, it re- it raises kind of suspicions. But I wonder if, if John Horrigan or anyone else in the government or anyone else in the BC Utilities Commission expected any different answer. I don't think they did. I think yeah. that uh, this was always a process that was destined to probably produce an outcome we're not going to be happy with. After all, yeah. this is a government that took the issue of examining taxes provincial taxes and provincial policies off the table forbid the commission from investigating that. Uh, and also the idea of expanding the Trans Mountain Pipeline and whether or not that would help reduce gas prices, that's also not part of this commission. So you can't look at taxes, expanding the only major pipeline into BC, or now the profit margins of the major players. And yet somehow this commission is supposed to begin hearings next week that will get to the bottom of how gas prices are set. It, it's fascinating to read, and I encourage people to either check out the story online because uh, on the VancouverSun.com because we've done a, quite a bit of a summary here. Some of the arguments that the companies raise for why gas prices are set the way they are, I'm just going to read random a random list in no particular order okay. of things that they've cited. So the minimum wage, apparently our wow. minimum wage is higher and, and a lot of uh, gas station retailers pay minimum wage. So okay. that raises the price of gas. BC's low carbon fuel requirements. We have special, uh, you know, less polluting gas requirements. BC hydro rates, the cost of refining the gasoline. We only have two refineries in BC, one in Parkland and Burnaby, one at Husky, which is the smallest refinery in Canada up in Prince George. Uh, the increased cost of barging and rail because some of the companies were saying we can't get product from Trans Mountain, so we bring it in from the United States by rail or barge. The high price of real estate, so the rental rates on a gas station in downtown Vancouver. It's not that long yeah. ago we saw gas stations pretty much disappear from the city because you can build a massive condo, make a billion right. dollars, and what do you want a gas station there for? Yeah. Uh, the idea of the um, the what other gas stations are charging the price of crude oil, the benchmark prices in Portland and Chicago, which come up again and again, the carbon tax, <laughs> credit card fees, environmental regulations, sewage discharge regulations, scheduled outages, basically all the way from the Saudis and OPEC, <laughs> all the way to the guy earning minimum wage selling you that hot dog that's been sitting on the little <laughs> rotating stand for seven weeks. The whole <laughs> process is nothing but costs, according to the companies. And I was left, I've read all this information, dozens of pages. Pages from all the companies and I'm driving into work in Victoria today and I'm, I get to this intersection where there's four corners and three gas stations and one gas station is uh, charging a buck 49 which is a Chevron gas station okay. probably run by Parkland um, which is the refinery company in BC then there's a Petro Canada on the other corner charging a buck 29 wow and that's run by Suncor and then there's an Esso on the third corner also charging a buck twenty nine may or may not be run by Parkland, the same company. It could be run by Husky, and I, this is all at one corner. It's a twenty cent price differential, and I'm looking at that, going, I've read everything from these companies on how their prices are set, and I cannot explain this difference. And yeah. it gets even more difficult to explain because there's some there's some numbers on these submissions that if you were to take them at face value here. So this is talking about this comes from the Parkland Group, the refining group. Um, and they say, if you have, let's just put it in dollar terms, $50 on a tank of gas, right? So according to their data, so out of this $50, $15 is the cost of the crude oil that needs to be brought in. $12.50 is the cost of refining that crude oil into gasoline. $4.50 is the retail profit margin. And $18 is your taxes. And that's the makeup of your $50 tank of gas. 
according to um, the Parkland group, and they use some data from the industry. I mean, I don't understand that because if if <laughs> if the profit margin at the retail point is so slim, how can you have such a differential between gas stations of twenty cents a liter? I don't I, like it. I, I don't get it. This is either the most complicated and intricate pricing system ever devised by man yeah. from from beginning to end, or it is a giant scam that you cannot be explained using the English language because it is it just doesn't make sense. And I and I've yet to figure that out. I don't know if the Utilities Commission is going to figure it out, but it just it continues to boggle my mind that the more you learn about this, the more you read about it, the more you talk about it, the more you examine it, the less it makes sense in the real world where you're standing in a street corner, you're looking at the price of gas, you're saying, I still don't get how one can be well, 20 cents more than the other. Especially if if the, if it's gouging, if what they're doing is gouging the public, you'd think that there'd be price fixing going on and they'd all have the same price or roughly the same price. So that's curious in itself. Some of the explanations that you rhymed off there, you kind of get deja vu on this stuff a little bit because British Columbia has done inquiries and investigations on this kind of stuff before on gas prices. I mean, if you go back to, I think, did did the NDP do one in the 90s? They did, yeah. yeah, In the early 90s, because I remember that. Like, I remember going back, you know, more than 20 years ago and going down a similar rabbit hole on this stuff and similar explanations were offered at the time and the conclusion of it was that they couldn't prove any collusion or price fixing. And I anticipate that this inquiry will likely come to a similar conclusion as well, that, you know, they can't, they're not going to issue a report accusing these companies of gouging or price fixing. Um, Maybe they will, but given what you've just described, I mean, how can you come to any kind of rational conclusions about anything, about how how these prices are set? The other thing I find troubling about this inquiry is some of the stuff that's not being investigated. And you mentioned the two key ones. One is provincial taxation, right? So the Horgan government, they're looking for any explanation for high gas prices, but don't look at us, you know, look everywhere else except at, at us. Now, you could argue that, well, that's not unreasonable because gasoline taxes have gone up by small iterations over time and the gas price has gone up a lot more dramatically than that. And that's basically Horgan's explanation that this is not about taxes. The one that I think is more troubling to me is taking off the table the ability of this inquiry to look at an expanded Trans Mountain pipeline as a factor that could lower gas prices if it's approved. And I remember speaking to the premier's office at the start of this whole exercise, and they insisted, oh, no, that's that's within this commission's mandate. They can take a look at the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project if they want. And I think it was you, Rob, that broke the story that they would likely not look at that. Now, to me, that's kind of like, if, if you're going to dig into this as a, as a, as a public service exercise to explain to British Columbians how these gas prices are so high, then I think that should definitely be on the table because this project is going to get built. If you listen to the federal government, they say they're going to start putting this pipe in the ground this fall. So why wouldn't you look at this inquiry, take an opportunity very timely to look at the, the impact of that? So I think this whole exercise is 
is just, I don't know. You know, I don't think it's going to get to the bottom of anything. I sympathize a bit with the idea of the commission looking at the expanded pipeline because we don't even know what Ottawa wants to do with that. We, We know the original Kinder Morgan proposal was to use this expanded pipeline for export. And since then, Ottawa's bought the pipeline, and the idea is, well, why don't we use it to increase the flow of gasoline to British Columbia? We're not sure if Ottawa's going to do that, so it might be hard to look at. But everything comes down in a lot of these submissions to access to the product. We are, in British Columbia, constrained by our ability to bring in, whether you call it refined gasoline, or you call it the type of crude oil that is refined into gasoline in Burnaby. And yeah. no matter whose submission you read, you do get a, a, a sense of a complaint about the existing Trans Mountain pipeline, yeah. way oversubscribed, yeah. can't bring in the products that is needed. Right. Everybody is bidding for overcapacity. People are either trying to export it or use it. And yes, some type of additional pipeline would help. But I, I think Ottawa does itself no favors in being unable to explain to the public what would be in that pipeline and how it would be used and how it would help gas prices. And that would be a major selling point. If you could tell if Justin Trudeau and the federal government could come in during an election campaign and say, you know what, I know you don't like the Trans Mountain Pipeline, but we're allocating a third of everything that goes through it is going to be pure refined gasoline for your your vehicles to make sure you have competitive prices for the rest of the country and you're not getting screwed at the pumps compared to everywhere else. I think people might appreciate that. It will certainly tick off environmentalists who don't want any gasoline-powered cars. But nonetheless, there's there's an opportunity there. And I, you know, I I don't know what to say to people who who point to the pipeline as a problem because I don't even know what expanding it would mean. So we're well. You got the government of Alberta making that argument. You know, they're saying like, oh, let's they're gung ho in the pipeline. Of course, like let's build this pipeline if you want cheaper gas. But you don't hear the federal government making a similar argument. Maybe maybe that argument will come as we get closer to an election in the fall. And you're right about the stated intentions of the of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project. They've never said anything other than this is an export project. We're building this thing so we can get diluted bitumen and load it on the tankers and and ship it out of here. Yeah. Not to it was never meant to bring in additional refined products so we could have cheaper gas. Certainly, if if this is a publicly owned project now owned by a crown corporation, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they consider something like that? So, yeah, keep an eye on the hearings which begin next week. Yeah, um, they are workshops, I believe, which is public hearings. Pe- the public can go in. Yeah, yeah, the public can go in. I think they're going to be live streamed on the Utility Commission's website. So, if you have any interest in kind of looking at some of the questions and answers, I can't promise you that it's not going to be as boring as watching <laughs> paint dry. I've I've covered some of these utility commission proceedings and the transcripts that are produced at the end and oh sweet mercy that'll put you to sleep pretty fast <laughs> couldn't these guys use uh puppets <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good that would be pretty actually pretty good yeah i was gonna say um could they not compel these guys to produce uh cough up their their profit margins i thought they had subpoena powers and they can they can order them to turn over their they do it's not quite as simple like they have to go to court to get the order to this then enforced so they can they can if they want i think it'll be an interesting question of whether they they want to do that technically the utilities commission does not regulate these oil and gas companies right they regulate utilities in bc which is gas which is natural gas and uh in some way in bc hydro is where it spends most of its time so they're going to face this weird question of do they want to you know, uh, punch outside of their weight class here and go up against the big oil companies uh, that they don't. What if have John Horgan orders them to? I mean, does, does this put the pressure back on Horgan a little bit to say, like, well, why don't you get tough with these oil companies and tell them to 
tell them to tell us the truth. Yeah, only maybe if price of gas goes back up again. Yeah. And I'm a little surprised <laughs> it hasn't because it's the summer months, as you mentioned off the top. This is when they really come after you, when the everyone needs to gas up because they're taking the motor home yeah. or the truck out of town, going camping, they're going on the family road trip. They, and then gas suddenly, poof, shoots through the yeah. ceiling. And uh, it hasn't this year. So that's fascinating, too. The, the Anyways, that's... We will continue to watch that uh, next week, probably talk a bit more about it. Before yeah. we move on to our next topic, Smitty, just wanted to mention, and we'll start mentioning this more often, that uh, you're reading your stuff in the province, my stuff in the Vancouver Sun. If you like what you're hearing, remember that you can subscribe to the newspaper if you go to vancouversun.com slash podcast. There are special rates there that include a three-month uh, trial, the e-paper, which is a pretty cool kind of PDF version of the paper you can check on your ipad if you're out on holidays there's a free 14 day trial of that as well special rates for the podcast listeners to subscribe to the paper at home definitely check that out remember that your subscriptions help us yeah. uh, keep this podcast going and yeah. if you like what you hear uh, considering subscribing to the two papers as well i would just add to that support local journalism and that's a great way to do it is to subscribe to your local newspaper, you know, and it's a real, it's a, it's a really pleasant kind of old school feeling to go to your front door and pick up your printed copy of the newspaper and hold it open and hold it in your hands while you're drinking a cup of coffee. In your bathrobe. Okay. I, I yeah. got this image of you in your bed, like Tony Soprano marching down to yeah. the end of your driveway, picking up your paper. It's great. I love it. <laughs> well, let's, Try go, it out. let's go on to our next topic, Smitty. You have been keeping... Uh, a finger on the pulse, the erratic pulse of the city council in Surrey. And just bring us up up to speed here on Mayor McCallum's uh, continued problems with Surrey Council and all the other things he's got going on. Well, remember Mayor Doug McCallum and his Safe Surrey Coalition rolled in the last municipal election to a large majority there in Surrey City Council. They won every seat except one. There's just one opposition a city councillor there. And Largely two key deliverables for McCallum in the election. One was to bring in a SkyTrain, uh, SkyTrain extension in Surrey, forget the uh, light rail transit system that had been approved earlier. And the other big one was to get rid of the RCMP and bring in a local municipal police force. So the city of Surrey has now put together a transition plan to bring in this new police force. That plan has now been submitted to the provincial government, which has to review it. So Mike Farnworth, Solicitor General, kind of the guy in charge of that file. Now, some of these councillors are getting cold feet on this whole plan. And we've seen some of them actually have major public, uh, you know, breaks with the mayor. So you've had two city councillors have actually quit the Safe Surrey Coalition are now sitting as independents. So Stephen Pettigrew was the first guy to go. And then most recently, Brenda Locke, who's a very well-known, high-profile pol- local politician there in Surrey, used to be an ML, a liberal MLA and a cabinet minister, and very respected. She has now stepped aside. So McCallum has lost two of his city councillors over this. They are, they are both now um, critical of the, transi- the policing transition plan. They think it's been rushed. They think there are holes in the plan. They think the public's not being told the straight goods and what kind of services they would receive from a municipal police force, how much would it would cost. They want the thing basically delayed pending more public consultation. So this is a problem for McCallum. Now, he still has majority control of that council. For now, though, because what if he loses some other city councillors as well? There's a guy named Jack Hundile, who's a former Mountie himself, who has also criticized the mayor, also criticized the process. Maybe he could be the next one to go. 
uh, and, and quit the Safe Surrey Coalition. I've heard there may be one or two others that may decide to sit as independents, or maybe they form their own caucus or their own new political party there. I don't know. This is a potential for McCallum to lose control because there's eight, eight city councillors and one mayor. So nine votes. He need five for a majority, right? So he's, he's lost two. There's one independent. You lose another one, and then you only need like maybe one more to cross over, and you've lost your majority there all of a sudden. So I think that's, that's a problem for McCallum. It seems like uh, some of the criticism that comes towards him is that he's operating the mayor's office um, at like some type of like, um, you know, supreme chancellor, to use the Star Wars analogy there, um, that he (laughs) (laughs) but uh, that he doesn't consult with counsel. Uh, on some of the things that he says, uh, suddenly there's an idea of a canal using the canal, the yeah. canal uh, that doesn't go through council. It's just the mayor's idea. The police transition plan has been run from the mayor's office. The public consultations, which some people are very critical of, have been coordinated from the mayor's office. You get a sense of frustration from talking to these folks that the mayor thinks he is bigger than council in some ways and that he's off do, kind of doing his own thing. Do you pick that up when you're... Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of them are, are upset with him going over their heads and not running ideas by them. You know, the the canal one, which just seemed to come out of the blue and it seems like a very weird idea. Where did, where did this come from? Um, and so a lot of them are, are upset uh, by that kind of thing, and uh, they're very critical of of McCallum. Now, I think that uh, one of the problems here for McCallum is that you've got a provincial government now has got to say yes or no to this report, and McCallum is saying, like, let's go. We want to get going on this now. I want to hire a new chief this fall, and I want to get a trans, you know, tra- start transitioning to this new new municipal police force. But Mike Farnworth. The Solicitor General is saying that he's in no rush to approve this thing and he is not going to make a snap decision on it. And I know that he's getting pressure from the other side as well. And and one of the things I think that he's worried about, and I'm, I know he's hearing from other municipalities in Metro Vancouver about this, who also have RCMP detachments in their communities. And that is if the RCMP contract in Surrey is cancelled, and that's the biggest one in the province... Where does that leave us? Because a lot of these RCMP services are integrated among these different municipalities. They share services. So like IHIT, for example, right? The integrated homicide team. And then you've got a traffic safety integrated unit. And you've got a police dog integrated unit. And there's, there are several others. And if you take out the biggest, the biggest partner in that, and they all share the funding for these teams, and Surrey is the biggest one. So they put in the most money to these integrated teams. And a lot of these other municipalities are going, oh, my God, like if you take Surrey out, what, is, what, is, what happens to these, these shared services in our community? So I know that Farnworth is getting an earful on that. And I'm also told that Premier John Horgan is also a little worried about this plan for that reason and others and doesn't seem to be very cozy with McCallum. So that puts Farnworth in a tough spot. Like, what do you do here? Because this is a guy who arguably has got a mandate to do it. He won big in an election on a promise to do this. But Farnworth's getting a lot of complaints on the other side of it. Yeah, I would say Farnworth's and and Premier John Horgan's enthusiasm to do this uh, would be best described as tepid. And that may be overstating their desire to get involved in this at all. Um, I said on the podcast a couple weeks ago, it's insane 
to me that we are proceeding down this path of a new police force in Surrey without stopping to talk about the merits of integrating and amalgamating and a regional police force. And it is nuts. And the problem, the reason why something that sounds so simple, which is one police force to rule them all, uh, to use the Lord of the Rings analogy, I'm really, I'm really knocking <laughs> yeah, these out today, um, is that the provincial politicians, they don't have the jam no. to upset the local communities. And you can imagine mm. Mike Farmworth wandering into Burnaby and telling Burnaby, we're getting rid of your RCMP detachment and you're going to be part of this new Metro Vancouver amalgamated police force. Enjoy. And as we've mentioned in other podcasts, those Burnaby seats are important to the provincial government. And the NDP can't go wandering around infuriating entire communities. And that is why the the capital region here in Victoria is 13 municipalities and a whole whack of police forces. And that's why Vancouver. So Farmer's stuck in a no-win position there because he clearly... Yeah, he does not know what to do. He and John Horgan do not have a mandate to mess with the policing structure. And they're, they're running up against a mayor who does. And what do you do with that? Do you blow it up? Arguably, you could have a better regional police force or sub-regional police forces for the citizens, but you would tick people off for sure. And I, he's in a rock and a hard place now, I think. And there was, there was another interesting development on this this week where you had the largest uh, Sikh temples, uh, the leadership there in Surrey, and also a major Hindu temple uh, come out publicly in support of McCallum and his policing plan. And they wrote a letter to Farnworth saying... Please, please approve this. We want this. The community is concerned about public safety. We believe a local police force would be better served the people of Surrey, and we want you to get going on this. And and I read that letter. It, it almost looked like it was talking points from the mayor's office, the way it was writ- this letter was written. McCallum has got a lot of support in the Indo-Canadian community in Surrey, a uh, very, very crucially, uh, crucial politically engaged community in Surrey. And, and the temple leadership there is important to McCallum and they appear to be backing him up on this. And so that puts an additional pressure point on, uh, on Farnworth as well. One of the, one of the lines in that letter kind of jumped out at me when it was, um, he said, there is a, a, a survey was done that showed 94% of Surrey residents strongly support a new police force and getting rid of the RCMP. And that was a, a poll that was put out by the mayor's office. So that's right in this letter. So that's why I say look, 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 it almost looked like this letter could have been written by the mayor's office. But anyway, that poll is one of the things that some of these other councillors who are mad at McCallum and are getting nervous about this plan, they don't believe that survey. Like Jack Hundile, the city councillor there, told me that, that that survey is statistically impossible because he has been to a whole ton of public meetings on this. And he has heard lots of opposition to this Surrey policing plan. He said there's still a large pool of support for the RCMP in Surrey. Maybe there's majority support for a local police force, but 94% strongly want to get rid of the RCMP. He just doesn't buy that at all, that survey. So this is getting uh, personal for some of these councillors who feel like they've been personally snubbed by the mayor. So they're angry personally, but they're also worried about this policing plan and whether it's been adequately thought through. So dust off the old uh, Michael Smith crystal ball trademark, registered trademark of Michael Smith Corporation. Dust that crystal ball off. Do you think Mayor McCallum loses his majority on his council in this mandate in the ne- in, in during his term here? Let me get a bottle of Windex here and just kind of polish this thing out. It's a little cloudy. The crystal ball is a little cloudy. <laughs> 
I think potentially, yeah, because I think I think Jack Hundow. I'll make a prediction, okay? There we go. I, I'll predict that. I'll predict that Jack Hundow. We should start recording Hundow, this at some time. <laughs> I'll predict that Jack Hundow will will be the next out the door, and that he will resign from uh, McCallum's Safe Surrey Coalition, and that's going to make it close to McCallum losing that majority and he might and then it will only take maybe one more for them to have a critical mass of uh, city councillors there to maybe form their own group and just say let's put the brakes on this thing now if that happens i'm not going to predict that's going to happen but I'll, i will predict i will predict that Mc, that uh, hundau will leave well, so that's that's as, that's as clear as i can get in my crystal ball you heard it here first yeah i, I think hope you're not i wrong, think he'll leave i don't want to have to delete another one of these episodes from the archives i thought i got aren't i batting a thousand on the predictions you are that's statistically oh. improbable but oh, okay. it, it just is. like that 94 percent sir you know statistically impossible so there's a but, there's a 94 percent chance we will be back next week to discuss is there i'm i'm pretty sure there i'm pretty sure I'm, i would even go 100 percent we'll be back next 100 percent back oh, no, wait a second i'm on vacation next week oh, we'll good. talk about that off the air okay we'll talk about that yeah. off the, i have a feeling i'll be back <laughs> we'll be back no matter what but anyways thanks so much for listening again remember you can find us both on the tweeters we should probably use our twitter handles here i'm rob shaw underscore van sun at mike smith news s-m-y-t-h that's the irish spelling of smith Irish. That's yeah. why you got that fighter in you. That's right. Belfast. That's the Belfast spelling of Smith. Uh, Mike my, Smith News on Twitter. Mike's in the province. I'm in the sun. Uh, thanks for listening. We will see you next week.